Hey, Alex. Yeah. When it says you only have like an hour left of space for recording, what do where do I have to remove things from? Uh, open up File Explorer and find the hard drive that's really full and delete stuff out of there. But it's probably it's probably like where you record, like wherever it's set to record things. Oh, you know what? So I I was wondering because I did just delete a bunch of stuff. I forgot. Like, there's a it's like trash a cache. Candy. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you didn't clear your recycling, yeah, you need to. Yeah 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 yeah. But hopefully, we won't go over an hour. <laughs> what? I have so many notes. I have more notes than ever. I That's actually crazy. took notes so. Four pages of notes. Holy <laughs> what? shit. What it's not a pages? very small notebook. Oh, alright. <laughs> Welcome to Mary to Who. My name... That's not how that starts. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jesus. my favorite. Jake messes up immediately. <laughs> Welcome to Mary to Who, a podcast where a couple of couples watch Doctor Who for the very first time. My name is Jake. With me are them, their couples. Cody, Sam, Jill, Alex... And our producer, Terry, this week we're here to talk about The Rescue, written by David Whitaker, directed by Christopher Barry. Uh, I didn't write down when it aired, but it was in January of 20, or 1965. Cody. Jake. It is now time no, it's not. for everybody's favorite segment, Cancel your 20-second plot synopsis. Ready, set, go. All right, we land on this planet. We don't know where it is. Could be the future. It's in the future. Huge pro tip. There's a weird alien guy. Straight up kills Barbara, but Barbara's not dead. Her hair cushioned her fall. They find <laughs> out that there's this one lady who's being held captive by this weird alien person whose name's hard to pronounce. Alien person goes around looking how to kill him. Uh, they find a lady. Damn. The lady has a dog. The, the, the dog gets shot to death. The dog dies. The lady's sad. Nope, they find I, out I'm that dead. the alien is the guy. And then they kill the guy. And then they leave. And they got a new companion. <laughs> you are bastardizing the the uh, <laughs> the uh, integrity of this game. <laughs> <laughs> I used to actually just write out the synopsis, but I just had zero oh, expectations we were still sure. doing it. Well, it, that, at least that'd be. This uh, is the tenth straight time. <laughs> All right, Alex. Out of one hundred and fifty-six classic Doctor Who episodes. Where does this one fall? Oh, man. I'm going to go with 82. Terry, same question. I'm going to say for how short of a episode this is, 136. Yikes. It's Vicky's first episode, though, Terry. Come on. Yeah, she was a it's mess. It's first episode. <laughs> uh, Jill. Well, um, can I opt to go last? 
No. Because <laughs> <laughs> Sam is by far in last place. She gets to go last. 78. Cody. God, that's a great number, 78. I'll go 79. Man, get off my dick. I will get on that dick. <laughs> Sam? This is why we need whiteboards, and this is why I'm losing. It's okay to change your number based on what other people say. You don't need a whiteboard to lock it in. I do, because I was, <laughs> I was going to say twenty. Say it. But I'm going to say forty-two. I just feel a little bit more conservative. <laughs> So, Sam said 42, and Harry said 136. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, this was a chance for you to catch up so much, because Terry's off by 30. It's 108. Oh, no. Jake, I vote with my heart, not with the people, okay? (laughs) Well, tell me what your heart thinks. What do you think about this story? I liked it. It was good. It was entertaining. Maybe it's because I didn't watch it with Cody, so I didn't have someone like <laughs> as a downer next to me the whole time. <laughs> oh, yikes! Married to who? Indeed. <laughs> and I also took notes, so maybe I was more invested in the episodes. And there's a new companion. Come on. Here's the thing, man. Everything's all bright and cheery when there's two episodes to watch. But if you got yeah, four fucking great. more. <laughs> Hey, Cody, what'd you think? Hey, I thought it was not bad. Move along. <laughs> Are you on a different setup this week? Uh, yeah, I'm at a hotel with a crap microphone. We're, we have traded places. Gotcha. Kind of. Sort of. Terry, what'd you think of this one? I enjoyed the villains. Story was good. It was there's very there's short. There's only one villain. Quick. Uh, so, yeah, it was all right. Jill? I thought it was an episode, or actually two episodes of Doctor Who. That's all I thought of it. Alex? It's good. Uh, yeah, I like this one, too. Um, there's a new kind of feel to the show. The Doctor's really kind of light and funny in this one uh we have a new script editor basically head writer he kind of brings a different tone that we'll see throughout the next five stories where he's a big fan of a little bit more humor in the episodes and i think the you can really tell in the first doctor's portrayal in particular that uh we're in a different place than we were even a week ago and uh, it's exciting, and I, I really like this episode a lot. And I think Vicky's fucking awesome. I, you guys will see hopefully moving forward. She's, you know, she's not perfect. There's still gonna be like some screamy stuff, like some Susan stuff. But she's just has like a like a brightness and like a a, a lighter attitude than Susan did that just makes her more likable. Comparing comparing Vicky to Susan, like it's no contest. Vicky's just so much better. I'm excited. It'll be good. Be excited. My first thoughts on Vicky were that she seemed Donna-ish, 
which I don't say totally as a bad thing because I like Donna. Like I was one yeah. of the few that did, but she felt like a little whiny, cryy. I don't know. Like she left with people that she didn't know. I guess like she came to the to the light eventually, but the things that she was dragging her feet on felt weird. I'll give some of the crying to Vicky because Barbara straight up shot her dog alien yeah. thing. <laughs> like in Sandy. cold blood, she was yelling at her, don't do it, and she just blasts it. <laughs> and then when she's done, she's like, what was I supposed to do? It was going to kill you. She's like, I was specifically yelling, don't do this. Right? <laughs> Come on, Barbara. Like the Then the men show up and they just immediately gaslight her and make her think she's an asshole for being mad. <laughs> Poor Vicky. And she's at the beginning, like I I, I disagree that she was kind of cryy. Like I think she was reacting to that okay, but then she comes around pretty fast. And then the stuff at the beginning with Bennett, like she's excited that she thinks she's found something and he's just shitting on her. <laughs> like you didn't, you're a fucking mora. It's not possible for the ship to be here. It takes X amount of time to get from there to here. There's just no way around it. And she's like, but it's there. Poor Vicky. My first notes that I wrote down for the episode is I wrote Bennett and Vicky, and then I wrote kind of a dick and very sweet, respectively, <laughs> behind their names. I like how Vicky's from the year 2493, and she's wearing a 1965 mod dress. Okay, yeah. and no pants with that? Well, that was the style. Okay, but she leaned over and she should have had pants on. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that was very short and a huge slit up the side. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she had she had leggings on, right? No. Yeah, she did. <laughs> Alex doing a quick rewatch. No, like you could see the fabric bunch up when she like kneeled down like in her in her knee oh, area. Probably. Yeah, I think you and I had the same conversation yeah. when we yeah. talked about this before. Um, Alex and I talked about the rescue when we did our Vicky episode, God knows how long ago. Yeah, when when it started playing, I was like, oh, I've seen this. This is yes. a good old, good old jam. <laughs> so yeah, maybe she was just wearing skin-colored tights. Yeah, it was unfortunate for black and white Or <laughs> film. gray tights, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was looking at a bunch of pictures of, like, 1965 fashion, and everyone was wearing that same dress, and they weren't wearing anything underneath. It was just the style. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not the style to lean over in. <laughs> How old is she supposed to be? Is she supposed to be, like, Susan age? I don't know that they ever say, but yeah. She's okay. supposed to be, like, still living with her parents in school age okay Alex I wrote this down for you the rescue ship was 69 hours away <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> my first notes for Bennett was like what's wrong with him maybe he's just depressed and he's just lying in bed because he can't walk and then he walks in later it's like okay never mind I don't know what's wrong with Bennett <laughs> yeah what's with the he can't walk he, but he walks he yeah. can walk it's just hard I I can't with him I can't he's such Same. a terrible person so bad 
What? He only committed genocide and killed his entire crew. <laughs> That's true. But, Find but out at least he drugged Vicky so she couldn't go to the explosion meeting. That's... <laughs> so at the beginning I wrote down he's kind of a dick. At the end I wrote down, okay, not a dick. Just completely evil. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And the doctor's like, ah, oh, so you're completely insane. All right. <laughs> Man, the doctor's so good in this one. Just starting from the beginning, when they're like, wake him up, and Babs is like, doctor, the trembling stopped. He's like, oh, great. I'm glad you're feeling better. Okay, but that was fine. why does he feel sticky after a nap? He's just a little sweaty. You don't sweat when you sleep? It was uh, one of those naps. <laughs> Why did he have a nap after his nap? Well, he didn't really nap. He just wanted them to leave him alone. <laughs> he, he was uh, studying that rock. Also, have <laughs> you like, never... I'm going to go take a nap. Ian, grab me that rock. <laughs> have you, have <laughs> you never, off. like, I don't know, woke up and just wanted to be sleeping again? <laughs> That's what I imagine. He's like, oh, this, all right. <laughs> yeah. Every second of my life. Yep. He's sleeping fully clothed with a... Like suit jacket on. <laughs> I also saw that they styled his hair differently now. Rather than uh, over the ear, it's covering part of the ear, and it looked really weird to me. It looked like he was wearing a helmet of some sort. But... He was. <laughs> it was oh, like okay. a wig. Well, yeah, <laughs> a they weird ass wig. Styled it odd, so he looked. Well, he's been living with new. Barbara for a while now, so that's where she's been doing his hair. True. It's like, only rock-hard helmets for hair, guys. <laughs> right? Her hair. I really noticed it this episode That was reason. one of my notes, is her hair is rock-solid until she, like, gets pushed off the cliff and they make it all big and messed up. It is a fucking sphere of marble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also loved when Barbara did the huge eye roll for when the doctor was telling her like how to open the doors. was like, don't open it when we're in transit. She's like, oh, Jesus, this guy. <laughs> but also like, come on, Babs, you haven't <laughs> figured out how to open the door. Like, they, need, <laughs> they need Susan to push switch number four. She's like, come on, doctor, you can teach me how to do it. He's like, <laughs> all right, but uh, took a really long time for Susan to figure it out. Oh. <laughs> Um, I love the theme of everyone can just hear what everyone is saying in this show, this episode. <laughs> yes. Because when Ian and Barbara leave the doc and they're like talking shit about him outside the TARDIS, he goes, <laughs> I can hear real. what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. That was pretty good. And when he's listening to them when he's in Bennett's room and he turns the radio on. And he's like, ha these dumb fucking pricks. <laughs> no, like, they were saying nice things, I think, that time. And he was like, oh, what sweet yeah, little people. He did, he did walk away saying, like, silly child about yeah. Vicky. And I'm sure that's how he feels about everybody. I do, <laughs> my next note says, um, right right after that part you were talking about, um, Babs is talking to, to Ian. She's like, I wonder what Susan's doing right now. And I could only imagine just straight fucking. Oh, <laughs> she, is, she is experiencing what? her sexual awakening. <laughs> While farming. <laughs> and farming. Plowing that pair bean of shoes. field. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's just staring at the stars being like, I can't believe that fucker left me here. <laughs> I had to oh, no. farm no. with this <laughs> dirty dude. Oh, God. Right? To come from Gallifrey and end up on, like, 
post-apocalyptic Earth. Okay. Right. I do love how fast they moved on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm wondering if it wasn't more of just like a rescue of her, since like her dad died. Oh, you mean the, the title of the story? Genocide. Oh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Duh, that makes more sense. How'd, how'd you come okay. up with that one, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> There, there is a story that um, Maureen O'Brien, who plays Vicky, often repeats is that, or repeated, when she got the job, they asked her to dye her hair dark, and she, she just goes, or you could just hire back uh, Carol Ann Ford, and they're like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they were literally just looking for a replacement. It really seems that way. Which is fine, it's kind of an upgrade, sorry. Susan. Barbara. And sorry, from, wait, what's sorry. her name? Vicky. No, the, what's Susan's yeah. real name? Oh. Susan? Car- Carol Ann Carol Ford. Ann Ford. Yeah. Although during the shooting of this, Carol Ann Ford did stop by to to give Vicky some words of encouragement and to wish her luck. Hmm. So that's nice. That is nice. And we had talked about Susan leaving previously, how it wasn't the character that she was told she was going to play. And I totally get that if she played an awful character. Like, I feel bad for her. Later, I'm going to tell you some stuff that Maureen O'Brien said about playing Vicky, and it's not going to be much better. Oh, Oh, no. no. Although I do think they do better for her character, especially later on, which we'll get into later on. Cody, you haven't said anything. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. I got a bunch of notes that I could go over if you want. I want. Okay. Uh, we're going to we take it. take notes? Look we're, at us. I, well, yeah. <laughs> nope. I, I was excited. You give someone two episodes and they're all studious <laughs> and <just laughs> eager. Wasn't immediately exhausted by the adventure ahead of me. Uh, I would just like to reference that all of my notes are just memes, so prepare for that. The <laughs> That's the only way you speak in general. Beginning of the first episode. Where Kukulian is K- approaching, Kukulian, Kuk gonna ki- Oh my! <laughs> no, that's you, Terry. That's no. that's what Ian Ian that's called Ian him. Kukulian. I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> I did not catch that. <laughs> approaching Barbara on the cliffside, and I'm putting cliffside in quotes, and he just slowly says, "I'm your friend. You can trust me." <laughs> pushes her off the cliff. Pushes her. Okay. Was it a push or was it like a slow advancement and she just fell? That was mm. the least confrontational Barbara thing I've ever seen. Barbara has a really weak core. She can't handle a very light shove. She needs All a medicine ball. Hair. The acting there was tragic. And then she falls down at the bottom of the cliff into this giant pile of sand neatly arranged towards upstage with a random branch that has been sawn off at the end, laying on top of her. <laughs> not not a real branch. <laughs> so it wasn't sawn off. It was designed to look that way. Literally wrote down, why is there a branch on Barbara? It was there to show that she had hit a tree and that the tree broke her fall. Oh, she, okay. she did mention not... that earlier. She or says it later. later. Yeah. They try to show it visually by putting one solitary branch on top of her. <laughs> also, please <laughs> explain to me what is going on with her hair and why it's four times the size of her entire head. 
I don't know. That's what my hair looks like in the morning. <laughs> a lot of ratting and teasing. <laughs> it's I couldn't watch the show. I was just looking at Barbara's hair every time she was on scene. Just do you need like uh, de-static something? <laughs> Have you fallen through an entire tree? <laughs> a okay. couple times. I take Pod Baby One's jacket off, and his hair's like sticking straight up. And I went to like pat it down, and I touched him, and it just went poof and off fell. And I just kind of <laughs> want to do that to Barbara, like the static electricity, just touch it, and it just falls back down. Watch her hair deflate. Hmm. Yeah. No, she she's constantly <laughs> touching one of those electricity balls. Every time she's on stage. <laughs> Here, oh, no, Barbara, you forgot to hit the Tesla orb. <laughs> okay, we gotta go back just a little bit to the reveal of the... Cocky licking? Coquillion. Before, before you do that, let me just give you guys a thought experiment. No. You're writing a TV show for children, and you have to come up with the name of a monster, <laughs> so you decide you're gonna make it impossible for them to understand yeah <laughs> or say or anything or read let's say they go to buy a toy and it says coquillion on it and they're like i don't know what this is i'm gonna buy this gi joe instead because <laughs> okay. i can say gi joe the beginning of this episode should have been you asking each one of us how to say their names because it <laughs> all would have been different i think alex would have get it would have had it that's fair Anyways, reveal, A+. plus. Loved it. I thought it was really creepy. Same. Oh, yeah. God, just this close-up, and then it zooms out. It was brilliant. I thought they did the feet really well. And the explanation of the costume is great, that it's like a, a real costume that the Didodians use for like religious ceremonies. So that's, that's why it's batshit crazy. How do the Didodians breathe? <laughs> they don't. That's the thing. They're all hey, dead. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Can Those we stop two pretending people it's at not the a end human? of the story that kill Bennett or like force him off a cliff. Who are those guys? Were they we, not? I thought it was going to be Vicky's dad. I thought that it was humans, and it took me until oh. the very, very end to realize that they were the. Is it, is it, is it Didonians or is it the Didodians. crew? It, it, well, it's Didodians. And like that's kind of like the just rewards because Coquillian came and just eradicated all of them except for these two. Unfortunately, on Amazon, it gives you the, like every scene, it shows you who's in the scene and it does say Didodians. And then they, Bennett, or not Bennett, but the doctor when talking to Vicky later says that they were locals and that he didn't kill all of them. That's oh, the only reason okay. I figured it out, because I 100% thought that it was the crew. The, fir the first two times I watched this, I thought they were ghosts. And that were like, <laughs> came back to haunt him and that kill him. That would be way better. And destroy the radio. <laughs> I, thought th I thought they were like the ghosts of the crew. And that this was like a holy place, and they were able to like come and manifest. Because I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a fantasy lover, Jake. <laughs> But there's like, of... These guys show up. Sorry, Terry. No, that's fine. They, they don't say anything. They don't really do anything other than they, they destroy a radio later. But Yeah, go ahead, Terry. Just going off of the, the fantasy loving that this random mountain has a cavern that has knives that come out of a wall to feed Sandy the slug. 
<laughs> like, what is up with this? Uh, Sandy's a vegetarian. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. And Ian just grabs the blade full palm, just like... He put his jacket over it. Oh, it's razor sharp. Jake? No, he didn't. (laughs) He did not. (laughs) When he tested it the first time, just full on grabbed the whole thing. And is like, oh my god, it's so sharp. Yeah, why are you palming it? Come on. I love... In in my notes, after the first episode, I put, now that is like a proper cliffhanger. Like, good job on the cliffhanger. And then episode two starts, it's just like, oh, I'll just step around it. (laughs) Like, good good job, guys who make traps. (laughs) I I just imagine, like, two Didonians just, like, facepalming, being like, fuck, why didn't we think of that? The people we normally put there aren't smart and can do that. (laughs) Uh, When they met Vicky originally... Why does she spell her name like she's a cheerleader? Because Barbara asked her if it's short for Victoria. And she says, no, it's just Vicky, V-I-C-K-I. It is weird Weird. that she had to spell it. Peter said, no, it's not I'm really hoping she doesn't spell her name every time we see her. Now I hope she does. (laughs) No! (laughs) I hope Barbara starts doing that. (laughs) It doesn't flow quite the same with Barbara. (laughs) that would be real good (laughs) or the doctor (laughs) i loved when uh they were figuring out what time it was uh for the year 2493 for vicky and they came to the realization like oh so you're like 550 years old and barbara immediately is just like what the hell it's like no (laughs) (laughs) overly offended yeah calm calm (laughs) down barbara why why are you offended come on <laughs> like, it's it's one thing if you like you go to have dinner and they like offer you the senior discount when you're 46 <laughs> but if you're if it's like oh are you a thousand years old like clearly you're not <laughs> so it's why like, are you so pissed off so when they went back to the french revolution was she like negative years Use your brain. Come on. I like how I like how Vicky's really unamused by everything though. Like even that, she's like, Oh, you're five hundred whatever years old. But she's not like concerned. She just like put it together. And same with um, Barbara explaining the doctor. Vicky's like, Alright, got it. Like she's not like what planet? What rocket ship, not rocket ship. (laughs) There is um a companion later that does the opposite where he's like Every time they say anything, he's like, oh, come on. And he's like a huge dick about it. This way is way better. Like, you'll see later when we get to that person how awful it is the other way around. I mean, I believe it, but it's still like she doesn't. I I think maybe that's part of what I didn't like about her. Yeah, there's probably a happy medium in between those two. A healthy skepticism. Does time travel exist in her time? Yes. Because she said, you didn't have that back in your day. So she doesn't really have to question it too much. Because it's not a foreign concept. I don't think she said you have that. She said you guys didn't know anything. No, she does say specifically you didn't have time travel in 1963. Yeah. But I think that's because she knows. They're they're saying they're from 1963. So she's like, well, that's how I know you're a liar. Because if there was time travel back then, we would know. Because there's not time travel now. But if they were to say, oh, we're from the distant future, then you'd be like, well, I guess it's possible. Oh, I So I don't think she's admitting way. that time travel exists, but just that she knows it didn't back then. Okay. 
I mean, she's on a foreign planet and held hostage by an a-hole. I, I would be like, you have a ship and you're from whatever year? Yep, I'm <laughs> cool with it. Let's go. There's repeated times where this um, rescue ship is brought up. They're keeping it a secret from Coquillion. Obviously, Bennett is Coquillion, but when she's talking to Bennett later, and she's like, oh, these people can help us, and we should, like, try to bash Coquillion's head in, and we can do this, and th he's like, no, like, just stay the course. The, the ship's gonna be here in two days, and we can leave, because they've been there for, like, a month, and Coquillion hasn't killed them. It's so, like, in that moment, when nobody knows the truth, it's kind of like, yeah, he's right. Just chill out for two days, just keep your head down, and everything will be fine. They're not about the logic, they're about killing Coquillion. <laughs> Well, then at the end, like, 100% of people would be like, oh, we'll just hang out with you, Vicky, for two days until your rescue ship gets here. And then you can live in your time with your people and they <laughs> take you back to Earth or whatever. But instead, they're like, oh, we like her. Let's keep her. We lost our pet. We need a new one. Yeah, exactly. But she did just, like, lose her dad and all of the people she was with, so maybe she doesn't have a lot. She still has to have something. Like, just to abduct a child. <laughs> and, you know, like, I, I know they asked her. Uh, but, like, just to be like, oh, you're a, like, <laughs> pubescent teenager. Please come and live with us three creepy old people. <laughs> <laughs> We're 500 years old. One come along. <laughs> I, I mean, there also could have been the reason of, with the Didonians maybe not liking humans after they just murdered a whole town uh, that they might have been fearing for her life of just leaving her there. Well, Jake said to stay there with her for two days. But that doesn't even make sense with the story because the doctor is repeating that like the Didonians don't even know what violence is and that he's been there before the first time we've ever oh, had that right, happen. Right, right, right. Yep, yep. And so like he he would probably be fascinated to figure out like when they are versus the last time he was there and to go talk to the Didodians and like try to like help them get reset up or whatever. Like every doctor we know, including this first one would like jump at the chance to integrate into the society and see what's going on. Instead, they're just like, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's steal this kid. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and help save our race. I was just thinking this story, how different the Doctor is versus New Who, because this Doctor is all about killing things. Yeah. <laughs> he tried to <laughs> kill the Bennett with the sound stick. <laughs> the Doctor went for the kill shot. Yeah. Okay, don't they call it, like, a construction stick? Rod, yeah, because construction it's, rod, yeah, because it's like local it technology. Deconstruct. Hey, you gotta you gotta blow some shit up to build some shit. <laughs> Is there a switch where it's like this one blows it up, this one builds it up? <laughs> it's like a matter converter. <laughs> no, it's just like you know you gotta blow the chunk side out of a mountain to get some materials and whatever. Can I have that for the snow here? Yes. Well, it's all gone now. It's fucking fifty degrees today. It's not. There's still so much. It's just a fucking lake. It's awful. Yeah. But yeah, there's a few times where I did think like, oh, that is the doctor that I know. Like, current day, new who doctor. And the first one was when Vicky's taking him into the back to talk to Bennett. And they just walk by like a pile of technology, just a bunch of mechanical shit laying in a pile. 
he like is walking forward but kind of like looks back at it and it's like that um that girlfriend meme where he's looking back at this other girl while he's walking with his girlfriend <laughs> and he just, just sees that pile of junk he's like ooh <laughs> <laughs> So you said the the writer guy was trying to be uh, more comedic with these this season. Not the writer, the script editor. Script the editor. The writer, the writer of this one is the guy who's been the script editor since the beginning. Last episode was his last one as the script editor, so he wrote the following episode. It kind of becomes a mini tradition of like the outgoing script editor writing an episode. Okay, all right. Because I was just wondering with like the comedy of threes, because you have uh, Barbara falls off a cliff, Bennett falls off a cliff, and then at the end, the TARDIS falls off <laughs> the a cliff. So it's like, there's a lot of cliffs happening in this episode. But then that falling off the cliff, that was written by the script editor, Dennis Spooner, because he writes the next story. And it is the only story ever in Doctor Who that is a flat out comedy. My phone just slid off the bed. <laughs> I heard that. Um, when is this episode? This sounds like fun. Next time. I did see the the title of the next one and I got real excited. What's the next one? Four episodes? Yep. We'll get to it at the end. But it's a comedy it's a comedy <laughs> of errors. It's not like a slapstick comedy. It's a little bit of slapstick in it. <laughs> uh we haven't talked about the part where Ian and the doctor are like walking along the four foot edge, but they're like hanging on to handles. And then Ian like grabs the handle and flies over to where the okay we kind of talked about the booby trap area that would not work that doesn't make sense that booby trap is terrible you had to pull that <laughs> handle to elicit the booby trap over there yeah it's bad it's a bad booby trap some boobies <laughs> are worse than others <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but all boobies are good so it's okay and in that part of the episode Ian like talks about how good the eyes are because they're green, so they must be used to daylight. And the doctor's like, that was intelligent, so good, that I might have said the same thing myself. Was he supposed to say that line? Or is that showing that Ian is really, like, figuring things out? You never know with (laughs) William Hartnell. It's it's 100% possible that that was supposed to be his line, and that he just sat there in silence, so Ian said it. And he's like, oh, yeah. Cause I could have said it better myself. I went back to rewatch that part because it seemed awkward, but there wasn't like a long pause. No. So that's what I got out of it originally, though, is that he forgot to say it, so Ian said it. <laughs> but I might might just be trying to show growth in Ian's character, and that was him my yeah secondary thought. Getting used to this kind of stuff. I feel like it is the growth part because. In this in this story, it just seemed like Ian and Barbara were not more mature, but maybe like more respected by the doctor now that he just lost his granddaughter. And so maybe he's trying to like, I don't know, emotionally attach more to the people around him. I, I just lost his granddaughter. Do you mean <laughs> toss that bitch aside? <laughs> yeah. 
he, he was sad about it. Like the first part of the the first episode was like him like coming to terms with like, oh, uh, she's not here to open the door. Like it was it was distraught. it was a moment. Oh, yeah. is that why he was napping the, the whole rest. time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's melancholy. He's uh he's, he's depression napping. It's like when you're sad that you put down your dog many years before it was necessary. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what? That's awful. Oh no. Why is that your comparison? I'm concerned. I was like Jill's in the background going, oh no. Well, I started out saying that it it's like being sad when you put down a dog. He's sad for loss, but he didn't need to lose her. He just left her there, so I had to change it as I was saying it. That, that was a he good also comparison. really doesn't quite have the right to be sad about it, because he literally it was like you are staying here and i'm leaving well i mean he made a decision yes but you can maybe not regret but like still be sad about the outcome i'm sad i'm sad Fair. every time i abandon loved ones in the woods <laughs> <laughs> or it just matches well too with the idea of like oh susan went to go live on the farm yep okay see <laughs> oh no i would have used the analogy uh yeah, I decided to power through and finish the burrito, and it was great. But now I regret it and feel kind of bad. <laughs> and I have no control over the TARDIS, so I'll never see her again. Even though I promised I would. <laughs> I do like the like. At first, I thought they were actually controlling the TARDIS, like that. This team, it felt like they had control, but now they're getting to the point where they're always asking when they leave the TARDIS. And that's fun yeah. little continuity well, and between. Ian and Barbara two. just want to go home. And it's like in the last one when they realize they're in London, they're like, "We did it!" And they then it's like, "Oh, we're whatever the hell it was." So then, why'd they steal this girl? Um, sex stuff. <laughs> 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 she didn't uh, have anywhere to go. Why does else? anyone steal girls? <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> Right, Terry? Yes, because I do that often. <laughs> That's the joke, Terry. <laughs> Terry wouldn't steal a woman. Everyone get their shit in? Um, I, I just don't feel like we covered enough that Barbara is a murderer. <laughs> if we could touch on that topic for another 45 minutes, that'd be great. Sweet. By the, oh, she's guys... just so jealous of... The dog? Ian's bloodlust that she's like, yeah. I gotta get mine. That was, just gotta yes. get that body so count Ian's, up. like, not so much a murderer anymore. Like, he's really backed away from that, and Barbara has, like, full, fully taken that over. Yeah, she, <laughs> she ran killed, over like, five Daleks. Yeah. She, yeah. <laughs> she's ready. If you look at it linearly, and you're like, they just got out of this horrific war zone where she had to do some shit and she was constantly in fear of death. And then like the first time she sees any perceived danger, she immediately goes to, you know, killing it. It makes sense. But when the one person, you know, on this entire planet who saved you is screaming, no, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, a fun fact that I read um, about that, if I can steal one from Jake. I bet I didn't write it down. Okay. Um, but the flare gun that Barbara uses... I didn't write it down. Uh, when shooting, it had gone off prematurely, 
and it had um what happened to her she had uh burned her face or hurt her face and had shock out of it so she like, was shocked she was shocked Absolutely. here's why i didn't write it down nothing happened she was perfectly <laughs> she fine and it, well yeah but it didn't go off early the explosion was a little bigger than she thought it would be and she didn't burn her face it, her face got a little warm <laughs> and she was like <laughs> jarred. It sound like she died and she had, died yeah. it was like you can you can warm. see it in the scene she has almost no reaction, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, they cut away from her real fast. <laughs> Is this the same flare gun that Vicky was holding earlier? Or did they use a prep for that part? Because Vicky was porting it directly at Barbara. <laughs> it probably didn't have a charge in it at the time. And the whole time I was like, she's going to murder her. Like, why are you pointing <laughs> that directly she's at her? She's a young girl. She doesn't know well, how later, to Later, Ian's just flailing the thing all over the <laughs> no, place. That's not true. <laughs> Okay, and then when the doctor, I love this about the doctor when he went into the room and like he broke down the door and he like figured it all out and then went through the trap door and just left his yes. companions. I love that. That's, that's great. A, that's a note I have too, is that there's, let's say there's 70% through the episode. The doctor's like, I'll just go figure it all out on my own. <laughs> These guys are having fun. <laughs> that seems very new who-ish. Like, yeah there's a problem i figured it out i'm gonna go take care of it here we go yeah and we haven't seen very many stories where ian and barbara literally don't do anything to help like i guess you could say ian like helped keep the doctor alive on their journey to the ship that, that's about it so i thought that was really good i like that yeah me too same page Oh, and then when the doctor went through that cave, I thought he was opening a coffin. It wasn't a coffin. I, I still don't know what it was, but it wasn't a coffin. It was just the entrance to the, like, altar room, right? Or the... No, it was like a box and he opened it. Oh, I guess I don't know what you're talking about. Probably just was a box. I don't know. There was, like, stuff in it. I thought it was a coffin. I thought he was, like... Digging up graves. I don't know what I thought. That's the other scene I had in mind of like him being like a new who doctor is when he's in that um that ceremonial chamber and he's just got his back to Bennett and Bennett walks in and he's like, Oh, I was wondering when you were gonna come and he never looks at him. He lets Bennett yeah. get all the way up to him before he like turns and acknowledges him. It's fucking that reveal was awesome. Oh, that's really badass good, yeah. doctor. Fun facts. Fun facts. Ham. <laughs> um, this is Dennis Spooner's first story script editor. We kind of talked about it. He previously wrote The Reign of Terror and will write the story that we watch for next week, as well as um, at least some of three more stories. He doesn't stay script editor for a super long time. He only does this and the next five, about six months altogether. Um, he doesn't even go all the way through the rest of season two. Uh, he'd leave Doctor Who for ITC, where him and Terry Nation served as the principal writers for a show called The Baron. He would then go on to create quite a few successful shows for them in the 60s. He spent the 70s and 80s writing episodes for various TV programs before dying of a heart attack in 1986 at the age of 53. All these writers, Yikes. they die so young because they just I'll sit in rooms and smoke cigarettes. Yeah, everyone dies so early. 
And they all go to the BBC bar down the street at noon and just start throwing back scotches. I don't see the problem. <laughs> it's a sometimes thing, Jill, not an everyday thing. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you wouldn't see the problem, but the problem's in your heart. <laughs> in your arteries and your veins. <laughs> um, I'm going to come back to that. Negative film prints of this story were recovered in 1978. Uh, Vicky's last name is never said in the show. Making her one of four companions whose surname is never mentioned on screen. We'll meet the others later. In some spin-off media, I tried looking it up. I couldn't find exactly where it comes from, but her last name is Pallister. I don't know if it's in a book or some big finish or whatever. To save money, there is no new music in this episode. They reuse the music from the Daleks, the first Dalek story. Hmm. That's neat. Seems like they spent all the money on special effects of the time. Well, they spent all the money on the model for the ship. That was wildly expensive. They hired that out to this other company. And two-parters... The reason there's so many like six and seven part stories is because two parters are wildly expensive because when you do a lo uh, longer story, six episodes, you can amortize the cost of sets and models and stuff like that because you're you keep using them. Whereas in a two parter, everything you're making is a one off and they're just super expensive. And in this case, that ship was designed by um, Raymond Cusick, who was the designer of the Daleks, and this is his last Doctor Who story as the production designer. Wow. So when you say the model, you mean like the set that they were acting in, or the actual model No, the model, model the for the outside shots of it. Okay. Interesting. Huh. Um, the first episode, Desperate Measures is what it was called, was the first episode of Doctor Who to crack the top ten in the UK. They had... 12 million viewers for episode 1 and 13 million for episode 2. This is coming right off of the finale of the Daleks Invasion of Earth, so Doctor Who is hot right now. And this is... oh, I've heard someone say that on average, over the, a whole story, this is the highest rated Doctor Who story ever. Wow. Which I don't know if that's true, because I was looking at some ratings... And it's only Maybe. 108 on our scale? Interesting. Yeah. Wait, again, this you gotta think about who's taking this survey. <laughs> it's a bunch of nerds <laughs> who subscribe to Doctor Who Magazine. I also subscribe to Doctor Who Magazine. But, like, this was creeping up on 10 years ago now. And, I don't know. Some of these classic stories that have been getting like a renaissance through podcasts and stuff like that were kind of just like, you know, these, these fans that went to all the conventions and all that were all just, you know, circle jerking and talking about the same shit over and over and stuff just falls down the list by things that they put higher. There's one coming up. That's right behind this that we'll see in the future that I couldn't believe it was so far down because it's one of my absolute favorites. Let's see. I have so many. Um, so this was in January 1965. This also marks when Doctor Who first started airing in Australia. That's fun. <laughs> fun fact. 
<laughs> it's also the first time they use a uh, sound when the TARDIS dematerializes. Oh, I had I hadn't noticed that. I I read that and I don't think I believe it. <laughs> like we this is the tenth <laughs> one we've watched. Like I think we've heard a noise before, but I can't say that for sure. Huh. It's like one of those things when you think about it, it just has a noise. Yeah, maybe. That that fun fact, take it with a grain of salt, it could be absolute bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Maureen O'Brien a little bit. What would you all think about her as Vicky so far? Not bad. Not the most amazing person at pretending to cry. <laughs> yeah, you're right there. <laughs> I could get over that, though. I think it's a bonus to the group. Like, she's going to bring nothing but good stuff, I think. I liked her. She's really sweet and not, like, psychotic, which is enjoyable. <laughs> I didn't love the character yet, but I did like her. I think she did a good job. Fair. Yeah, I, I like that thought of it as well. Um, I hated her hair, but that's also because she's been by herself for, what, two months or something? Because she's a woman, Terry. Yes, <laughs> yes sorry. Terry hates women. He also said I like that <laughs> thought of it as well. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> It's literally not a sentence. <laughs> Can we just have a Terry blooper reel at the end of each podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Maureen O'Brien, she said in a whole bunch of interviews that I was looking at, and I've watched her Mythmakers interview when Alex and I did our episode on Vicky. She said that, like, she didn't really want to do TV. She was like a theater snob. She didn't even know what Doctor Who was. Um, she did an audition, got the job. She was, like, really into this dude who lived in London, and she's this this shot in London, so she's like, I'm going to take this job so I can marry that dude, and she did. She said the scripts were boring and predictable, <laughs> that from an acting point of view, this job was not rewarding, and no. but she had a really good time, and she loved everybody on it, and um, everyone in their interviews always say that, like, uh, Hartnell, like was really into her right away like took to her was like treated her like his own child and anytime he would go off on like a rampage which was pretty often and increasing they would send maureen o'brien in to like calm him down and make him laugh because she always could and this was like a really happy time during production like they would have picnics in hartnell's uh dressing room everybody like very lambert was hanging out all the time all the writers and directors were always hanging around everyone was just like in a really good place and so the show was doing great everyone was like getting a bunch of publicity everyone was really happy and then we'll see later with some other companions who are like hartnell was an asshole <laughs> like mm -hmm. i fucking hated that guy he was so mean <laughs> but at this point in the show everything's going really good and everybody loved Maureen O'Brien. They were sad that Caroline Ford left, but they're into her. But everything's better now. <laughs> Sam, you talk first. Who's your MVP? Mm. Vicky. Maureen O'Brien? Yep. Oh, the other thing I didn't say first about her. First one out the so gate. Like, 
everyone when they leave the show a lot of companions i shouldn't say everyone it's really hard for them to find work after doctor who like caroline ford basically never worked again uh maureen o'brien it took her a while she but once we got like the 70s and 80s she was on every tv show ever (laughs) like she did uh, like a one or two episode guest on every tv show ever made in britain she worked her ass off and she wrote six detective novels all with like the same main character that did pretty good and she didn't do a whole lot of conventions uh or interviews or stuff because she just had like a successful career outside of doctor who and didn't really give a shit but she was cool cody who's your mvp my mvp is whoever was responsible for set design they had a ton raymond cusick had a ton of hurdles just thrown at him we need swords to come through a wall. We need a bunch of cliffs. Uh, we need a ship. Uh, that ship needs to have a trap door. Like, it was a lot more than just a quarry. So, kudos. <laughs> I think earlier I said Maureen O'Brien's dead. She's not. She's alive. <laughs> Ooh, sorry, Maureen O'Brien. <sighs> Carrie, who's your MVP? I am going with Daphne Dare, the costume designer uh, for the Cochillion. Um, I thought it looked phenomenal. It was great. And Sandy the Slug was also really great, though it looked like a dysmorphized mermaid. But it was really good. Jill. I'm going to go with old Billy. I thought he was really good in this episode. I'm piggybacking on you. I also am picking William Hartnell. He's fucking crushes this one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. Alex? He gets three. Hey-o. <laughs> yeah, this this was a good one for him. Yeah. Oh, you know what we never did? What? We suck dick. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know what else we didn't recording? actually like mention is the human is the monster. Like, that doesn't happen super often. And I always kind of like it when it does. Oh, we're about to mention it. As soon as I can find where the Twitter app is on my phone. <laughs> All right, I asked people on Twitter what they thought. We got a few responses. BT Flippity Giggit at Your Cool 91 says, Vicky, sorry, I would be more coherent, but the most important thing here is that Vicky's on the scene and ready to be an S tier companion. Hell yeah. Ode underscore Ollie at Ode underscore Ollie says a bunch of shit. <laughs> i really like the story it works as exactly what it needs to be it deals with susan's departure and the effect it has on the tardis team really well it introduces vicky in a way that doesn't make her feel like a carbon copy because it's only two episodes none of it drags and it manages to wrap everything up quite neatly the mystery that it sets up is really clever and the threat feels real and even if the audience put two and two together before the reveal it still works well and you know if you're a kid it might you might not realize Having such a small cast lets the story be told succinctly and gives each character a purpose. Vicky is a believable character from the first minute she's on the screen and you sympathize with what she's going through. Pairing up the Doctor and Ian is always a good idea. Shows off their partnership really well. And Barbara and Vicky and the Barbara and Vicky interactions work as a good representation of both characters. The Coquillian reveal works well and is a nice surprise, actually utilizing the fact that classic monsters usually look like a man in a suit by having the monster literally be a man in a suit. <laughs> there you go, Sam. And actually, I'm going to disagree with that in a second. 
Uh, the conversation about the Doctor is lovely, too, really nailing down his character of being very eccentric, yet a decent, trustworthy person. The only part I have a slight issue with is the sudden appearance of the Dido people. That does seem a little bit of a deus ex machina. However, given how much I enjoy the story, I'm willing to let that slide. And the literal cliffhanger is both a genius visual gag and very intriguing. Really looking forward to what y'all think. So, I was listening to a whole bunch of podcasts this week about the rescue, and every one of them mentions the monster being a man in a suit when all Doctor Who monsters look like a man in a suit back then, and how it's like a meta thing. I looked at the previous, every previous story leading into this one. There are no men in suit monsters. <laughs> <laughs> like it seems like a commentary looking at it in retrospect now but like you know maybe you could say keys of Marinus, the vord are men in suits but like they might just literally be men in wetsuits like we see a wetsuit without a person in it later we never see what a vord looks like we don't know if it's a monster well the sensorites too they're just people they're not in... monsters they're just aliens and they're just yeah. men they're not yeah. men in suits they're just men with hair glued to their face <laughs> <laughs> just just men with huge saggy balls <laughs> and it's really not until oh you killed me with that one i was taking a drink <laughs> oh god it's really not until we get to like the very end of the first doctor beginning of the second doctor that we enter the monster of the week era and the men in suits so yes this monster is just a man in a suit, but we really haven't had that as like uh, anything to be referencing because Daleks aren't suits. They're little pepper pots and we haven't had a whole lot of monsters. We've had a whole lot of just people when you look at Marco Polo and the Aztecs and others. There well, will be I... one very crazy exception coming up soon, but there's not a lot of monsters in Doctor Who yet. If you look at the stories and humans really aren't aren't the humans the monsters truly yes, yes. it's the people that are really the walking dead we know <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so next time written by dennis spooner who is the script editor four episodes we're not going to get another two-parter until the 80s so strap in <laughs> no more notes Again, it's the only story in Doctor Who that you could call a straight comedy. And Alex and I like it a lot, so be ready for that. <laughs> Alex, do the song. This has been Married to Who, our podcast on The Rescue. If you'd like to participate with us on Twitter, you can do so Married to Who Pod. You can follow our Instagram, Married to Who. Or if you want to listen to episodes, especially ones that are older than the most or most recent hundred, you can do so on our website, MarriedToWho.com. On behalf of myself, Jake, Cody, Sam, Jill, Alex, and our producer, Terry, thanks so much for listening. Please join us next time for The Romans.
Beer, <laughs> <laughs>